That's good. As you can see, it's definitely Christmas-themed this morning, and that's all right. We're, um, we're good with celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ around this time of year. This time of year gives us an opportunity to do just that, to focus in on it. Um, so it's, it's good to do, and that's kind of the frame of mind we're in. It kind of gets us back to the Lord as well with all the busyness of the season where our mind goes in 30, 50 different directions. It's good to come back to the actual purpose and meaning of Christmas in this way. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And it seems every year we're in Luke chapter 2. Um, yeah, because it is just so, I can't get away from Luke's account, his narrative of the um, birth of Christ. It's just so rich. It's so deep. The glory, the majesty, the theology. I mean, we can mine this text for a long, long time, so for many years, we might be going back to Luke. I think this is like the third year in a row. It's not the same sermon, I don't think. Uh, different aspects in the, of the same text in that way. So it is Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 8. And I'm going to ask you to please hear God's word this morning. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherd said, I'm sorry, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. We love your precious word, Lord. We love the 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 theology, the teaching of the incarnation of God becoming man to save his people from their sins. So I pray that you would be with us this morning to come to that understanding of this is why, Lord God, we are Christians. This is this is what um, how we become yours, Lord God. So we do thank you and praise you so much. I pray that you would be with all of us, that we would be engaged, Lord God, that when our minds wouldn't wander, that we wouldn't drift, that we would that our, our, our hearts, Lord, would be uh, with you, Lord God, our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word boldly, powerfully, Lord God, uh, with conviction and with comfort, Lord, uh, and all to your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God, and it's so good. Um, 
So you know, like the majority of people that celebrate Christmas, we're living in this time, we're living in this culture, where most people that celebrate, celebrate Christmas do not know Christ at all. When you say the incarnation, most people will probably be like, isn't that an instant breakfast drink, <laughs> right? I thought that was funny. Incarnation, <laughs> instant breakfast, right? The incarnation, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Although I don't know if you younger people will know carnation, and you might have to be a little bit older for that one. Anyway, Jesus' birth means practically nothing to them. You know we're in trouble as a society and as a church when we have to remind people, when we have to implore them to keep Christ in Christmas. We shouldn't have to do that. At its best, right now, in the culture, the time we're living in, uh, Christmas is somehow, I mean, this is at its best, somehow promoting this kind of nebulous, like, time for peace on earth and goodwill towards men, whatever that kind of means, or, or like peace, how I define peace, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, but that's just kind of out there. Uh, the, the, the term Merry Christmas, that's gone for the most part. Uh, it's quickly being replaced with Happy Holidays. We're talking to Meg yesterday, she, want, she was having to contemplate putting Merry Christmas down as opposed to Happy Holidays. This is where we find ourselves today, Right? And that's very innocuous. Merry Christmas. That, you know, start talking about the incarnation, Christ coming down, um, God becoming man. Man, you really get in trouble for that, right? Christmas is not really about the incarnation in the society we're living in. But it's, but it's portrayed as what? You tell me. A time for family, a time for friends. And there's obviously some truth in that. A good time, cooking, baking, keeping old traditions, making new memories. That's the spirit of the holidays. That's, that's Christmas. It's reflected in the movies that are on incessantly 24-7. It doesn't matter what channel you turn to. You have all these sappy movies. Regard- I'm not saying you can't watch them. I'm, you know, whatever. But they, they, this idea is kind of reflected in these movies. Forget the incarnation of Christ. Forget about that. It's all about, like the Christmas season is all about mending broken relationships. You know, that's how you find redemption, by by mending those relationships, and it all turns out really nice in the end. By finding unexpected love somehow, right? That's That's kind of... Hold on, just pause. Oh, Andy's the man. You're in trouble after this. I expected before. It might not be the batteries. It's like the pit crew here. You can get fired, man. Sorry for the people at home. How's that? Is that better? Let's see what happens. Reflected in the movies, right? We were talking about movies a minute ago. Mending broken relationships, that's about redemption. 
finding unexpected love at this time of year. That's kind of like the salvation. Giving something up, being sacrificial, that's kind of like the sanctification. All that has replaced the true meaning of Christmas. But we're fine with it. So many people are just good with it. That's what the holidays are about. That's what Christmas reflects. It's kind of heartwarming stories, those kinds of things that we love. It doesn't matter. We're kind of get, gotten rid of Christ and the meaning. I mean, even if you go to the stores, go to Target, go to Walmart, go to Old Navy, I mean... There's really nothing there. Even the traditional symbols of Christian Christmas are pretty much long gone, pretty much for the most part. And so it goes and it goes on. And here's where we are as, as Christians. But that's okay because this gives us an opportunity as Christians to really make that, to really bring forth the meaning of Christmas or at least why we celebrate it in this way. Because Christmas is a proclamation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, of the Savior of the world. Amen? It's God coming to us to do that for us, which we can never do for ourselves. The thing that he's only, he alone is able to do, right? Matthew one twenty one tells us the purpose of the incarnation. You'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Amen? That's it. That's the heart of it. That's why he came, to save his people from their sins. And that's bound up in the incarnation of Christ and at this time of year. So, our account begins with the angels, and there's just, it's just so rich. We're just going to kind of go through it and, and talk about different aspects. But understand, this is what Christmas is all about. It begins with the angels and how they appear to the shepherds in the field. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's stop right there. They were filled, of course, they would be so afraid. It's dark, nearly pitch black, depending, right? But dark enough, and all of a sudden you see the glory of God, that light, that brightness. What would you do? You'd be like, ah, you'd be, we would be afraid. There would be that, that kind of fear that would just overtake us in that way. That's obvious. They were startled. They would be afraid. You know, what's going on here? Of course. But what I want to talk about real, just, just have you understand that there's a difference between a holy fear, holy fear, and like an, an evil fear, if I could put it that way, if I could use that, that term in that way. Because in Scripture and throughout, there's that holy fear. Yes, you're afraid, but it's more of a reverent fear. A fear of, of God. Like, okay, so they're surrounded by light. That's a holy fear. That light, the glory of God shone around them. Evil fear, that's covered in darkness, right? It's just dark and scary all the time. That holy fear is when you're overwhelmed. Just, and you see this throughout scripture when God appears in that way, right? What if they're just overwhelmed? Yeah, they're afraid. But more than that, they're overwhelmed by the majesty of God, that they're in the presence of holiness. And that brings people not just to their knees, but to their faces, right? They're just prostrate before God. Because it brings you to a realization of how sinful, not just because you're afraid in that way, but you realize when you're in the presence of holiness, how sinful and unworthy you are and how deserving of judgment in the sight and in the presence of a holy and righteous God. See, that's, that's that holy fear in that way. Just like when Peter, when Jesus revealed himself to him, what did Peter do? Depart from me, I'm a man of sinful lips. Isaiah, when he saw the glory of the Lord, right? That's that, that holy fear. That evil fear is just darkness. That's just when you're overwhelmed by that visceral fear, that abject hopelessness, that 
darkness, that, that, you know, that frightening fear, that kind of thing, just so you understand the difference. This is a, this is a holy fear. And where, that, where, that, where that, that godly fear comes present, you're, we're afraid of that, but there's always comfort too in that, right? What does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Evil says, be afraid. Continue to be afraid. Always be afraid because evil fear overwhelms, controls, wants to have power, wants to manipulate, wants to destroy. That's what it does. But the holy fear, don't, don't be afraid. Fear not. How comforting is that? I'm so afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm here. This is, this is good. And, and, and here's the hope of, of Christmas. He gives the reason why. He said, they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's just so loaded. We could spend all day on that one verse, but we won't, but we'll just kind of go through it. This is the reason for the hope of Christmas. It's good news, great joy for all people. When he says all people, he means all kinds of people. In other words, salvation is corporate in its scope, right? The, the call goes out to everyone, every single person. And that's good news because people everywhere need Jesus Christ, right? Amen. So, so people, this means all kinds of people, ethnicity, all kinds of race, men, women, children, doesn't matter what region, what country you come from, doesn't matter your status in life, you need Christ. That's why he came, for all people. He is the only Savior that's exclusive. So in Galatians chapter 3, we're told this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what he means when he talks about all kinds of people. It's it's the message for every single person. And it goes out, even in Acts. He said it's going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And that's exactly what the gospel has done, hasn't it? It's brought people from all different tribes, nations, ethnicities, backgrounds to himself. Amen. Praise God. That's the message of Christmas in the incarnation, that it's for all people. It's good news. It's good news because we're bad and we need this good news. It's good news because we are sinful and we can't help ourselves. That's why it's good news filled with great joy because you're a bad person insofar as our sinfulness and before the sight of God. We need him. Romans 3.23 tells us very plainly. I know that sounds tough. We're bad. We're sinful in that way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't deserve to be in his presence. We can't be in his presence apart from his wrath and judgment. That's why it's good news. It's good news because of the situation that we're in apart from him, isn't it? That's why the angels say it's good news filled with great joy. In in John 3.36, you know our state apart from Christ? This is what we're like naturally. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You're not going to see life if you're not trusting in Christ, but the wrath of God remains on him. What's that presuppose? What's that tell you when it says the wrath of God remains on him? That means it's already on you apart from Christ. It stays on you apart from Christ. That's a bad situation, but the good news is that Christ has come to deal with that. It's good news because it offers a way of redemption, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, 
deliverance from judgment, rescue from the power of sin, Satan, death, and hell. It's good news. That's why I said it's good news of great joy for all people. This is the message that we proclaim. And he goes on to say, for this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For born unto you this day in the city of David. A Savior is Christ the Lord. Check that out. He says this day, that's very particular, that particular hour in the plan of God. That's the right time. At the right time, at the proper time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to save those who are under the law. It's his perfect timing. This is God's purpose and plan. It's not just willy-nilly. It just doesn't come up. This isn't just like happenstance. This isn't just coincidence. This is God's redemptive plan unfolding perfectly in the moment of time. Every moment of time is ordered by God. Do you realize that? This is when we talk about his providence and his decrees. This was that moment, that perfect timing, plan and purpose of God All the Old Testament promises at this time, the prophecies concerning Christ, the types, the shadows, all of those find their fulfillment in Christ, in that little baby, in that manger, in that feeding trough, in the manger. That's where it finds. That's that's so stunning, the paradox. All that glory, all that majesty in that little baby in the manger there. That's where they're going to find him, wrapped in those clothes. And check this out. He said, he's born unto you. So we have the corporate aspect. It's for all people, right? But it's also personal. He is for you. Born unto you this day is one. And that's, the again, the incarnation. God coming to his people. It's also very personal. It is personal. He's born unto you. He's born for you. Why? Because you need him. Why? Because you are helpless without him. You're hopeless apart from him. He's the only one who could do for you that which you can never do for yourself or by yourself. That's why he says, for unto you is born a savior. So, so there's that corporate aspect where it goes out to everybody, but it comes down to you receiving and resting on the Lord Jesus Christ as you repent of your sins. That's a savior who's given to us. That's what, that's what Christmas is all about. Forget about the hallmark. Forget about all, all those shows over there for, you know, those, those cute little things that they show around Christmas time. Of course, the presents are all there. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things, but that is not the heart. And it detracts and it takes away from what Christmas truly represents in this way. And we need to remember that as Christian and, and take the opportunity to let others know as we have that opportunity. Don't just get all caught up in everything. It's cool to be part of it. That's fine. But don't let that be the primary thing. This is the primary thing. Unto you, a Savior is born. Right? For he is. He goes on to, um, we, we see the different titles. The Savior is Christ Jesus. That Savior means Jesus. That means rescuer. That means deliverer. The one who rescues, he rescues. See, this is all about salvation. Everything I'm talking about is salvation just in different ways. This is why we need him. This is why he came, right? Because he rescues you from your sin, from the penalty of your sin, right? That great danger that you're facing apart from him, you need to be rescued. That name implies it. 
If you need to be rescued, that means you're in trouble, doesn't it? It means you're in deep trouble. If you need to be rescued, if you don't need to be rescued, that means you're fine. But if you're in need of being rescued, then that means you're in a bad place. And that's why he came. And that's what this means. That's what that name means. Savior, rescuer, right? It also means deliverer. So he rescues us from our sin and the penalty of sin, and he delivers us from God's judgment and God's wrath through his sinless life, through his substitutionary atonement, through, through his work on our behalf. That's why we love Christ so much, because we can't do this. We can't please God through our works. We can't try to be good people or the best that we can do. That's not good enough. That's why he came. That's why, that's why we celebrate Christmas in many ways, because he is the Savior, because you need rescuing. He is the Christ. That is the Messiah. That's what that means. It means anointed one. He is the one who's commissioned by God, chosen by God, the, the only one sent by God. There's no other Messiah. There's no other Savior. There's no other Christ, right? There's no other way except through, except through Jesus. That's another thing we point out. So everybody wants to kind of meld and synchronize all the traditions and kind of bring them together. Oh, you celebrate it this way. You celebrate it that way. No, there's only one way, man, and that is Jesus Christ. So don't let the compete those that compete with Christmas or try to change it or get it off track. No, it's, it's the Christ. It's the anointed one, the chosen one, the only one who could secure salvation for his people, for all of those who by grace repent, believe, receive, and rest on him. We know this. Even Isaiah 61, we are told this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has what? Anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's the condition that we're in. This is why he came. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the only one. So born unto you this day is a savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's the third title, Lord. That's curios. That's king, man. He is our king. He's the master. He's the head. He's the highest and greatest authority. That Lord speaks to sovereignty, that he's powerful, that our God is powerful, strength, might. He has the power to save us. That little babe in the manger is king of kings and Lord of lords, right? He is the one who's able to do this. So, so it, as 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 our Lord, as that king, he subdues us to himself. He takes that stony heart and he takes it out and gives us a heart of flesh to believe in him. He conquers us with his love and mercy. That's why we belong to him. He, he, he subdues us to himself. He rules over us. He defends us. We belong to him. He conquers all of his and our enemies. He is our Lord, that babe in the manger. See, this is what Christmas is about. This is what it, This is what we need our focus to be on mainly, and we can even tend as Christians to get off of this and just get caught up in the season as a word. Don't do that. Come back here. Be reminded of this all the time. That babe in the manger, he's the one. This is the message of Christmas. And at that, I want you to check this out. I can't express this enough. I wish I could just bring forth what happens next in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who with whom he is pleased. 
Okay? That, it's just, what, just think, okay, there's the glory of the angel shining around them, and that's great. But then all of a sudden, it's almost as if heaven can't contain itself at this proclamation to say that he's the Savior, right? That he's, that he's the, the Christ, that he's the Lord at this coming forth, that heaven just opens up and, and just the proclamation is, it just bursts open with resounding and praise for glory to God, right? Like the, it's like a holy exclamation point where the angels can't even hold back and the glory just comes through and just shines through. You kind of get a glimpse behind the curtain, right, as it were, of what's going on in heaven as they're glorifying God in that way. So they just break through. There was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. And again, we get back to the message of the gospel. This is just different ways of bringing forth the the need that we have, and how Christ meets that need. Because when he says, peace among those with whom he's well pleased, guess what? We need peace. That's why he says, they say, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Why does he say that? Because we need peace. Why does he say that? Because we are at war with God. We are at enmity with him. That's why we need peace with him. So what they say provides peace in two different ways. There's two, di- two, different, two different ways, two different aspects of this. First of all, it's objectively. We need peace with God because we're at war with him. We're at enmity with him. We're hostile to him, right? That's the deal. That's that because of our sin, because of our separation, we're ho- the, the Bible says it very plainly in Romans chapter eight. We're told this, for the mind that it's set on the flesh, and that's, If you're not renewed in your mind, if you're not saved, that's every single mind apart from Christ is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's unable to do so. We're at enmity with God. Listen, man, we're we're rebels, all of us. We are rebels. It's just a matter of degrees in terms of our rebellion towards God. But as Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I know that says sick. A better um, translation is wicked. Who can understand it? Who can understand our heart, man? Why would you reject the holy and righteous God? Why would you reject forgiveness of sins? Why do we do that? Why do we do some of the things we do when our heart leads? We know, even as Christians, we know things are just wrong to do. We do it anyway because we're following our hearts at that point, right? We're following our feelings at that point and not the objective word of God. Because the heart is desperately sick, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I don't get it. Paul says, why do I do the things that I do? I don't do the things I want to do. I, I don't do the things I should do, right? This is what it's like. There's that battle. Unbelievers, they just go ahead and follow their hearts all along, right down the line. And, and you can see, even our society, where that's bringing us. Because now we're strictly postmodern. We're we're progressive. We're relying on our feelings and just what seems right to us. And look at the mess that we're in. Look at the world that we're living in. Things that, like even five years ago, you would say, are you kidding me? (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. It just doesn't, we're accepting that because that's how the heart is. And it just follows that way. So so we need, we're we're rebels. And that's what scripture teaches. Some of you are quiet rebels. Others are loud and proud. And they're proud of their rebellion against God. No, I don't trust God. Some are, some are very intelligent rebels. Others are very, you know, maybe not so much, you know, not, not as intelligent. Right? 
Some are intellectual. Some are lowbrow. We're all rebels in that way. Book smart, street smart. High society, low class, doesn't matter. You could be as wealthy as Bezos or poor as dirt. Conservative, progressive, Republican, Democrat, wise, foolish, nice, nasty, funny, dull, old, young, a dog person, a cat lover, a righty, a lefty, Coke, Pepsi, Ford, Chevy, Jif, Skippy, Target, Walmart, Giant Eagle, Shop and Save, Giant Eagle, Shop and Save. The bottom line is we are at enmity with God and we're in rebellion against him. It's Christ who brings the peace. That's why he says peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Only Christ through his cross reconciles us sinful man to holy God. Right, so Romans 5.1 tells us this, 5.1 and 10. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you see that? It doesn't matter. We're, 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 that's why he came to bring peace between sinful man and holy God. That's the first way. The second way, when you're in Christ, there's a settled peace that we have within our hearts that knows that we've been forgiven, a settled calm within the sin-forgiven, Holy Spirit-renewed heart that relies on Christ completely. And it doesn't matter our circumstances. We still have that peace that surpasses all understanding. That's from him. That's supernatural. That's what we rest in as Christians. That's the peace that he brings to us as we believe in him, to those who, with whom he is pleased. As one Puritan put it, in his presence makes every situation comfortable. It doesn't matter what the situation is as long as he's in it. And he is in it if we are with him, obviously. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the hope that we have in Christian. That's a peace among good men. You see how the gospel's contained here and just being um, oriented in, in different ways, kind of the same, the same thing in different ways. That he is God, he's come to save us, we are sinners, and we need to believe and trust in him, right? And rest in him. And when he makes that change, that change is permanent. This, this is the hope of Christmas. There's a little bit more as, as we move on. When the angels went away, from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Let's stop right there just for a minute. Don't miss this because, you know, we just saw that, that beautiful message coming through, but don't miss this aspect of it. When Christ calls you and when you know him, everything else, everything else fades kind of to the background, doesn't it? It doesn't hold the same place. It doesn't hold the same priority. It doesn't hold the same importance that it once did. Not that everything is unimportant, but they're not as important as knowing Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm saying if you're a Christian this morning, right? The things that you used to find your identity in, your hope, and even the good things in your life or the good people or the good relationship in your life take second place, when it comes to Jesus Christ. That's that's going on here. When he calls you, 
Everything else loses. They said, let's go to Bethlehem now. That's really powerful language. It's very, it's an imperative. It's, it means let's go directly to Bethlehem. We're not going to enjoy the scenery. We're not going to me- meander along the path and, oh, check that out. No, this is like a, a determined, going with a purpose, determined anticipation and excitement. And when he says, let's make haste, let's go fast and let's go quickly. You know that feeling when you want something or you, I don't know, if you're somewhere and there's a, you're at a concert and there's that person's available, you see that that star available, you make a direct path for that person, and you go as quickly as you can. You're not enjoying the scenery. Oh, that looks cool. That looks nice. No, you're going right to that person as fast as you can to get their attention, to be with them. That's the sense that's going on here, that there's a a determined anticipation and excitement. Let's go as quickly as we can, and we're going to push it. We're we're not just going to walk. We're going to run, and the idea is also leaving leaving it all behind to follow Christ. They left the sheep. That's not a great thing to do, to leave the wandering sheep by themselves, but they were determined to do that because when Christ calls you, you leave everything behind in order to follow him, follow him, don't you? Yes. There's no, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me go and do this. First let me go bury the dead. What did Jesus say? No, 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 no. Let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. He's not being mean. He's not saying don't care about your family. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying I am number one in your life. If I'm not, then you're not truly following me the way you need to be. right? Because there's nobody else but Christ. There's, you can't have it both ways. It's following Christ. When, when he called his disciples, what did they do, man? They left their nets and they followed him. The brother said, bye, dad, we're following Christ, okay? Not that they didn't love their dad, but when Christ, when you're following Christ, everything else takes second place. You understand that? And that's what they did. They went with haste. Let's go. Let's, let's anticipate. Look what's going on here. And then they went and they proclaimed and related the account to them. Verse 16, and they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they proclaimed um, the, the, the message from the angel. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Another aspect of this, and this really contains the gospel in the Christian life, the transformation that's made. So they go and they relate the story to all those who were there, to those who were there, and we're told of the reaction. And listen, this is a reaction of true belief. When it says that they wondered at what the shepherds told them, it wasn't the idea of like, huh, I wonder if it's true or not. Hmm. It wasn't a skeptical kind of wonder. That word there means like a stunned amazement, like I believe it, but I can't believe it. You know, it's actually, it's actually true. They marveled. They were astonished at what the shepherds told them. They weren't doubting, but it's almost like they couldn't believe it. It's almost too good to be true in that way. They wondered. They were stunned amazement. And we need that kind of wonder in our lives and our hearts as we follow Jesus Christ. We need to be stunned and amazed at his goodness, at his grace, and at his mercy. We're told that Mary treasured these things. And she kept that. You know what it's like to treasure those something? You keep it close to your heart, man. And you keep, you, you know, you return to that. It's so valuable to you. So it might be a memory of, of your 
child being born or whatever that might be, your first date, you know, your wedding day, whatever that is, you treasure that memory. It's there for you. And you go back to that. So Mary treasured these things up in her heart. The place you go to time and again that puts a smile on your face, right? That warms your heart. And it also says that she pondered these things. And that means thinking on, thinking deeply about Almost, it's like lingering over something. It's like when you're lingering over a conversation and you don't want it to end because you love being there, but, you know, but then it's finally time to go. But this is the idea of thinking about everything that's being said, thinking about all the implications, and she pondered these things. And you know what, man? We need that as Christians. We need this. Your thoughts need to be on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to be in wonder and stunned amazement that he would save a sinner like you, that he would count you worthy to to pour out his grace upon you, to ponder his greatness, his attributes, his grace, his love, his mercy, his providence. Think about these things. Linger over them, right? Your salvation, how he saved you. Time and time again, you need to go back and, and Preach that gospel to yourself, as it were. Almost daily, like the Puritans would say, you preach the gospel to yourself. You remember how he rescued you and what he rescued you from to to, to grow deep in your appreciation and your love and to keep that fire going. Meditate on his word. The psalmist says, I meditate on your word day and night. Your word is sweet to me like the honeycomb. It tastes like that. we're, We're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, being consumed by him eager to please him, willing to obey him, committed to following him. See, this is kind of like our sanctification as we ponder, as we think, as as we're moved. Without these, without that wonder, without that amazement at Almighty God, and even as you think about the incarnation, what took place that God left the glories of heaven that he put on the flesh to identify with sinners like us, to save us from our sins because we can't save ourselves? That's amazing when you think about it. People today aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about what present to get, what movie to watch, where to go, what to eat, what to bake. But you think about this, what he's done for you, and how he loves you, and how he gave himself for you. See, that changes. If you're not, without these, without that wonder, without that amazement, without pondering, without lingering, you know what? You're going to be a cold, Christ is going to be cold, distant, Yawning, boring, distracted, disinterested, ambivalent towards the thing of faith, towards the things of faith. You might come to church, you might do Bible study, but there's not going to be a real relationship. And there's not going to be that fire for the Lord. And there's not going to be that appreciation for all he's done. And there's not going to be that willingness to obey him the way you ought to be obeying him. There's not going to be that willingness not only to live for Christ, but to die for Christ. You need that wonder, that amazement, to be in awe of him every moment of every day. Do you understand that? That's what they were doing. They were, they were amazed at his grace, at his power, at his might, at the glory, at the message of the Savior. And we need that in our lives as Christians. Otherwise, right, it's just cold, yawn, okay, time's done, I'm out, I'm gone. No, 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 no. We linger over these things, right? They wondered. They were in awe. Mary pondered. Mary treasured him. Do you treasure Christ? And then finally, They changed lives. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. What is the chief end of man? 
Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. A transformed heart. That's what we do, man. Everybody ought to be. It's those who are truly transformed that glorify God, that put him above, that leave all else to follow him. Amen? You willing to give that all up to follow Jesus Christ? Praise God. They went back with changed lives. It says this, the shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. He changes lives. Now they're going back. They're going back. They're going back to the sheep. They're going back there. Just like you're going to go back. You go back to work. You go back to family. Uh, you go back to whatever you do, even as after you're converted. But you're never the same again if you're in Jesus Christ. They go back glorifying and praising God. They're transformed by grace. Amen. And when you're transformed by grace, everything changes, even though you go back to the same things you were doing before, oftentimes, right? If you go back to your job, you're still going to go back Monday morning. You might be converted on Sunday. Monday, you still go back to work, but you're a different person, amen? Now you're a Christian. Now you're in Christ. They were going back, praising and glorifying God. You're going back now with a purpose, even if it's to your job. Now I'm going to do my job in a way that's glorifying to God. It's most important. It's not about me advancing. It's not about me getting ahead. It's not about people loving me. It's about people seeing Christ in me, the way that I work, the way that I conduct myself, the way that I do the things that I do. Amen? Praise God. That's it. They go back, change lives. They're not going to be the same kinds of shepherds that they were before they encountered Christ or Christ encountered them. Same circumstances, but new men. And they live lives in light of meeting, knowing the Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. Are you doing that in your life today? Is it different? Like, you know, the, the, the kind of person you are. You're not that person anymore. You're not who you were. We are being sanctified. We're not who we want to be, who we're going to be completely, but we're not who we were. Amen? And now we live for Christ. And everything we do, we do for him. Sometimes it's very mundane. The day-to-day gets tedious, gets hard but we're doing it for him. That brings the glory, right? Because he is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Christ, and he's our King. The majority of people celebrating Christmas don't know Christ. Nothing of the incarnation. Christmas is all about Christ. And people could do all they want to do. You could watch all the hallmarks you want. You could try to covered over, you know, the, the one commercial, I forget what company it is, but, oh, it's not just blue, green, and white. It's all the colors of the rainbow. The implications are very clear on that, right? They could do all that stuff. Go ahead. Do what you want. Try, try to get it out because as hard as man tries, you're not going to remove it. That's just kind of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. The truth is still there. You're just suppressing it in unrighteousness. It won't change the fact that Christ Jesus was born and they need, and you need, Christ Jesus, a Savior, Messiah, and King. The truth that we proclaim, that good news, that good news for everyone to hear, that by God's grace they will be saved and know true peace and have peace with God and follow Christ at all costs, counting the cost to follow Christ, always remembering what we have, and how sufficient he is and what he's accomplished for us. So we glorify, we honor, and we obey, and we love him now until he returns or calls us home. Merry Christmas.